We were on holiday the week before last, and down the hill from where we were staying was, a, I say shopping centre, it was actually an area of rather tacky gift shops, you know the sort that most resorts have, and there was one morning when it was raining a little bit, so we went to look round these beautiful tacky gift shops, we're, we're classy like that, and we were looking in this one particular shop, and there was a row of belts that were for sale. I want to show you what one of the labels to one of the belts said. Can you read that? I'll read it out to you. Emporio Armani, you know this designer label? He said, our company produces the product is the best. The best quality is our promise to the customers. The customer is our God. What does that scream out to you? Fake. Fake. Really bad. Yeah, it's like somebody's used Google Translate. He doesn't quite know what they're doing. But it's fake, isn't it? I didn't even have to look at the belt. I didn't even have to look and see if this belt was of good quality to know that that was not made by the designer label handcrafted in Italy. It wasn't. It was a fake. And life is full of fakes, and we can often spot them, can't we? Just this week, Amazon has been going on in the news, and there's been problems with five-star reviews on Amazon. People saying they're often fake. They're not real. You can't trust them. If you want to know if something's good, look elsewhere. Don't just look at the Amazon reviews. And then we have fake tan. I won't ask you to put your hand in the air if you're wearing fake tan this morning. If you think I'm wearing it, it's fake, fake tan. It's not worked. But there's fake tan, isn't there? And then there's fake news. We hear a lot about fake news in the news. News that is based on alternative facts, or as it used to be called, lies. News that is based on things that actually aren't real. And then we come on Easter Sunday to Mark's account of the resurrection. We've been working our way through Mark, through Lent. We've been looking at all the various events that lead up to the crucifixion and then the resurrection. And every human being who comes face to face with the gospel writer's claims has to make a decision in these verses. Is this fake news or is this glorious reality? Is this something that actually is just based on a load of absolute rubbish or is it something that is amazingly and gloriously true. Because you see, if it is true, it changes absolutely everything. So let's have a look at what Mark wants us to know from his Gospel reading. The first thing is, is that Jesus had really died. Mark is very clear. He wants us to know that Jesus has died. He hasn't swooned or passed out. In verse 42, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent Jewish council member, he goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. Romans would leave people on the cross indefinitely. If you were a Roman and you were crucified, they would let the birds peck you to bits afterwards. For a Jew, though, that couldn't happen. You had to be taken down and you had to be given a decent burial. So this is hence the request. Verse 44, we find that Pilate is surprised that Jesus is already dead. Quite often when people were crucified, they would die a long and lingering death on the cross for for days sometimes before they eventually died. So what Pilate does, what I'm sorry, um, Pilate does actually is investigates and he summons the centurion. He more or less brings in a third party witness. What is going on? What has happened to Jesus? And we find that the centurion confirms that Jesus is already dead. So what Mark does is he leaves us with absolutely no wriggle room. Jesus is dead. N.C. Wright puts it like this. He says, people ask, Jesus didn't really die, someone. 
gave him a long drug that made him look like dead, and he revived in the tomb. And the answer? Well, Roman soldiers knew how to kill people. And no disciple would have been fooled by a half-drugged, beaten-up Jesus into thinking he'd defeated death and inaugurated the kingdom. So Jesus' dead body is taken to the tomb. A stone is rolled against the entrance, and Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Joseph, and Joseph of Arimathea, see where he is laid. There are witnesses to this event as well. After all the agonies of Good Friday, after all the agonies of crucifixion, these words can sort of ring quite empty, quite barren. There's not a lot going on here. Because for all of these people, for all these followers of Jesus at this point, this is not just the end of a good friend's life. You know, all of us from time to time have that that awful experience of gathering round the graveside of people we've loved and cared about. But this is actually at a deeper level than that, because this is the end of Jesus' teaching, his ministry, the end of everything that they had come to hope this man would be, or so they thought. It seems at this point that the hope of Jesus has gone. Now, history will tell us that there are lots of other people who lived around the time of Jesus who also thought they were the Messiah in the centuries before and in the centuries afterwards. And they too, like Jesus, would gather people around them who believed what they said, who would listen to their teachings. And often, these people would die quite gruesome deaths. But without exception... All of those people, when their movement, when they died, the movements that they started stopped. Nobody followed somebody who'd been crucified, who then didn't rise from the dead. Nobody follows somebody who's been killed as a failure. Jesus, if this is where it ends, would have just been a footnote in history. He might have come up in one or two Jewish historians as being somebody who'd gathered a few people around him. And so what we're landed with in these verses is effectively Easter Saturday, the bleakest day in the Gospel accounts. Now, we had a really nice Easter Saturday. I hope you did too. The weather has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, It's been great. We spent a lot of time in the garden, a lot of time out walking, and then had a meal with family in the evening. Easter Saturday, for these first followers of Jesus, was the bleakest day you can imagine. Hope had gone. There was nothing to live for. All their dreams had been shattered. But you know, the sad thing is, for many human beings today, they actually live as if Easter Saturday is the final reality. That there isn't really any hope. That there is nothing. That there is nothing beyond the grave. There is nothing really to this life. We're nothing but some strangely intricate product of random choice and random accidents. I don't know about you, but I find that the most incredibly hopeless place to be in. And so we're faced, before we get to the resurrection, of this incredibly bleak place with a really dead Jesus in a grave and no real hope. If today you feel in a bleak place, If you feel that you have got no hope in your life, can I encourage you to listen to what happens next? To see the glorious events of resurrection. Because not only do we have a real death in this passage, we have a real 
physical, bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus had already told his followers that he would rise again. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, this is Jesus speaking, and he says it. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. However, his followers don't seem to have taken this on board. They don't seem to have realized. They're not there waiting at the tomb for Jesus to be risen. What they're there is going to anoint his body because they know he has died. And we see the women going to the tomb, ready to anoint him as a dead man. There's been some pretty horrendous things on the news um, today. I don't know if you've seen the news about the terrible events in Sri Lanka that have happened with people being um, killed in, in churches, and that is absolutely horrific. And we will be praying into that, I think, a bit later on in the service. But earlier on in the week, there has been um, the news of the fire that happened in Notre Dame Cathedral. And that was a, a, a news story of destruction, of hundreds of years of history going up in smoke. And the talk of that has very much moved on to rebuilding, hasn't it, if you've been watching the news. Now, I, we haven't got time this morning to go into the ethics and all the, the whys and wherefores of whether it's right to spend a billion euros on a building when there's so many other things in the world that need addressing. But actually, there have been some really interesting articles written. This was one in The Guardian. Resurrection is inescapable in Holy Week. Notre Dame will rise again. I want to take issue with that. For the reason being that Notre Dame is a building. And if we think that's what resurrection is about, rebuilding a building, we've got the wrong idea of resurrection. That's restoration. You might call it regeneration, rebuilding. It is not resurrection. Resurrection, the Greek word for resurrection is anastasis. It appears 42 times in the New Testament. And it means rising from the dead. One who was dead, rising again. Not somebody who'd swooned, being, having a sort of repair job done to them, but somebody who has died, being brought back to life. Now, around the time of Jesus, there are all kinds of stories of the dead visiting the living. If, you, if any of you have read any Greek mythology, or you're into opera like um, Orfeo and Eurydice, if you're very cultured, you will know these stories of the dead coming from Hades to visit the living. But actually, they're still the dead. They're not being raised from the dead. This event is unique in ancient writing about somebody actually rising from the dead. Let's look at what Mark tells us. If you've got the Bible passage in front of you, look at verse 1 of the final chapter of Mark. Mary Magdalene again, but a different Mary is with her, Mary, James's mother, and Salome. They've gone to do the normal cultural practice of anointing the body with spices. And as they go, they've got practical things on their mind. Bereavement always brings with it the need to do practical stuff. And here, they're concerned about what will happen to the stone. Verse 4, the first unusual thing happens. The stone has already been rolled. Now, that of itself doesn't mean that Jesus has risen. The stone could have been rolled because somebody had pinched the body. That was a thing that happened often in the first century. It could have been that somebody else had already got there first and was already anointing the body with spices. Or it could have been somebody doing routine maintenance on the garden. It could be any number of things. It doesn't really tell us a lot. It's not till we get to the next verse that we realize what has happened. As they enter in, 
to the tomb. There is a man who I think we can rightly presume is an angel. And he speaks to these women. They're alarmed, Mark tells us, and quite often what angels do is tell us not to fear the thing, not to feel the thing that we're actually feeling. It happens in the nativity accounts as well. And here they're alarmed, and what does the angel say? Do not be alarmed. You don't need to feel what you're feeling at the moment. And then there are some details given. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. That's just so they know exactly who they're talking about. Jesus the Nazarene. The one who was crucified, just in case there was any shadow of doubt. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Have a look. Mary Magdalene had seen him being put there. Have a look. He's not there. He is risen. He is gone. So we've had Roman witnesses. We've had Jewish witnesses. We've had the women, the men, and now we've got angelic witnesses to the events of the resurrection. And verse 8, the women trembling, bewildered, having been given an instruction to go to Galilee and to tell the disciples and that they'll see Jesus again, they flee from the tomb afraid. And then Mark's gospel ends quite abruptly. There is a, a sort of, if you've got the church Bible in front of you, it's not really the day to go into textual analysis, but there is a bit of the, the, the next part says, some of ancient manuscripts don't have the next bit. Um, that's because this probably is a lot later addition to Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel finishes there. Some people think the scroll was accidentally chopped off. Nobody's quite sure what happened. But the interesting thing it does is Mark's gospel leaves us with a resurrection but then leaves us to fill in the gaps of what we do about it. There is nothing that goes on beyond the resurrection that we have to think, oh, well, we could be like them or like them or like them. We're forced to think, how does this resurrection of Jesus impact us? If today you believe that this event happened, if today you believe in the resurrection, then as it says on there, it changes everything. And we'll look at why in a moment. If you're not sure whether you believe in the resurrection, or if you think, actually, no, I don't believe in the resurrection, if it's either of those two things, can I encourage you to dig a bit deeper? Because every human being, like I said at the beginning, has to come to that conclusion that either this is a fake news story or it's glorious reality. There's not a lot of in-between. You either rise from the dead or you don't. You sort of can't do a halfway house. What is it? Fake news or glorious reality. If you want to explore that further, later on this year as a church, we will be running an Alpha course which will look more into the claims of Jesus. I would encourage you to look out for that and to come on that course. But the third thing that this gives us is a real hope. Paul writing a few days, decades later to the church in Corinth says this. This is from 2 Corinthians 5, 15 to 17. We are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And what Paul gives us is that gospel hope. The Jesus who died on Calvary who took the sin of each of us. Sin is just that word that means every time we love something more than we love God. 
every time we do those things that God doesn't want to do, every time we fail to love our neighbours ourselves. Every time we do that, it causes death in us. And the amazing good news is because Jesus has risen, we too can have new life. We can become part of the new creation that God has brought about through the resurrection of his son. We no longer have to live as if death is the final full stop. The grave has lost its power over us. Paul will write, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? It's gone because Jesus has been risen. And we have the opportunity to follow Jesus, to live a life reborn by the Spirit, to no longer having to live for ourselves and our own disobedient ways. We can live for Christ, becoming more like him, loving more like him. And we too, on the last day, unless Jesus returns first and something different happens, if we then die, we will be raised with him on the last day. And Revelation, hallelujah, Revelation says that we will reign with him forever. That is a real hope. A real hope. Something to build our life around. Something that is worth living for. It does change everything. So two things, just in closing, to think about. It can be very easy to think about the resurrection. And perhaps today you've been a Christian for many, many years. Perhaps you've sat here and you've sat here on Easter Sunday for, for many years and you've heard all the passages about the resurrection preached on. And actually, if you're honest, you've become a bit immune to it. Can I just remind you this morning that people do not normally rise from the dead. This is not something normal we are talking about this morning. This is not just a great idea, but this is something that changes absolutely everything. But, you know, it can be very easy to read all this and say, yeah, that's great, I agree with the resurrection, but then to carry on living bound by fear, to live a life that actually isn't that hopeful. You know, Jesus rose so that we could have hope. Jesus rose to give us assurance for our future. Jesus rose so that life can change today and for all eternity. Will we today live with that kind of hope? Will our life be transformed by the hope of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will we live with that different perspective? Because God, in his time, will bring about the fullness of the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. See, the early Christians, they were so convinced that this was really good news that they went around telling everybody that Jesus had risen. They didn't think it was a fake. They didn't think it was a hoax. In fact, Paul will tell us that 500 people saw the risen Christ. They so believed that it was true that they gave everything, including their own lives, to ensure that other people had this hope. Do you have that hope this Easter? Second thing. Today, if you're not really sure where you're up to with the resurrection, will you make the bold step of saying yes to Jesus today. Jesus, when he was first calling his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, simply said, follow me. And it's a call that he says to each of us, and I believe it's a call that is ongoing. Will you follow me? Whether it's the first time or the thousandth time, will you follow me? Come after me. Do the things that you see me doing. Enter into the eternal life 
that I am offering. To put your trust in Jesus, I don't believe this morning is blind faith. It's not blind faith, it's reasonable faith. There is so much evidence, if you look for it, that points to Jesus having been raised from the dead. Will you today join in this exciting journey of resurrection hope that starts as Jesus comes out of the tomb and ends with us reigning with him in glory forever and ever? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you rose from the dead. I want to thank you that we can have confidence in you this morning. And I want to pray that the message of your resurrection will resonate in each heart and life that is here this morning. For your sake we ask it. Amen.